0: On May 7th, 1945, what remained of Nazi Germany surrendered to the Allies. It had been 11 months since Operation Overlord, 11 months since D-Day, and in 11 months, the Allies had taken back France, Belgium, and most of Poland. Hitler was dead, Germany was defeated, Europe was liberated. At that point in time, the United States of America could have done a peace out, Europe, liberated you all, going back home now, hashtag mission accomplished, and we could have loaded up in our boats and planes and simply come home. There was one man who said, no, absolutely not. His name is George C. Marshall. George C. Marshall knew that Europe's cities were bombed and desolate. Very few farmers had planted crops because of the march of the allies from both directions. Most Europeans lacked the ability to sufficiently heat their homes for the upcoming winter, which would prove to be one of the harshest winters on record for Europe. So Marshall developed a plan, and the plan included grants, food, and millions of aid uh, that would go to Europe in the wake of World War II. If he had not done so, thousands of people would have starved, and many historians believe that a second war probably would have broken out in the ravages of Europe. What was true of the United States at the conclusion of World War II is true of you and me when it comes to our finances. Without a plan, there's likely gonna be some starving children. Without a plan, there's likely gonna be some starving children. Mama, hungry! Without a plan, that which you have sacrificed to gain could be lost, right? And husbands and wives, without a plan, War could break out without a plan war could break out right and so when it comes to finances though the typical American just wings it the typical American just plays it by ear which is why most Americans are surprised honey how much is left in the checkbook or wait a minute we're paying how much to Verizon every month and everything is like a surprise or or in the category of well I know we eat out a lot and I I think it's roughly, right? And we kind of wing it. We play it by ear. I don't think that's wise because in any given month, you or I have two or four deposits into our checking account. And how many withdrawals? 40, 50, 60 withdrawals? Do you know the sound that your checking account makes? It's the same one mine mine makes. It's this sound. (laughs) It's gonna, (laughs) okay, that's, kids, if you want to know why your parents are always grumpy when they're paying bills, it's this sound right here. (laughs) Okay, and so in today's economy, you can't play it by ear. You can't play it by ear. When it comes to your finances, you've got to have a plan. You've got to have a plan. For those of you who are 14, 15, or 16 years old, there's a part of you that thinks, man, I can't wait to get out on my own and make my own money and I'm going to do whatever I want. Boom. I wish you could spend the afternoon with some of the 30-year-olds in this room and ask them what the last 10 years of their life was. Some of them are already going student loans. Ah! Okay, right. So So having a plan is really important. There's a saying, those who fail to plan, plan to? Oh, you've heard that too. Those who fail to plan, plan to fail. Today, I want to encourage you to have a spending plan. I want you to create one, tweak one, work on one, stick to one, but have one. Because those who fail to plan, Plan to fail, and I don't want you to fail with money, and neither does God. Jesus, who had no car, no apartment, no iPhone, no place to lay his head at night, Jesus taught more about money to his disciples than heaven and hell combined. And I think one of the reasons that he did that is because if you fail with money, it affects so many other aspects of your life, doesn't it? If you fail with money, it can really it can affect your health. It can affect all kinds of things. So, getting this right, making some wise decisions is really important. If you brought a Bible, I want you to open it to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 16, and that's where I'm going to be teaching on today. Luke chapter 16 Jesus has been teaching his disciples in this section of Luke and in chapter 15, he's been telling them who matters to God and it culminates in the story of the prodigal son. And then he teaches a story about the shrewd manager. The prodigal son and the shrewd manager both do the same thing, they waste someone else's money. And so it's important to figure out what's going on in this passage, and we're gonna chunk it away verses by verses, okay? So Luke chapter 16, verse one, Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. Now the word used for manager is this word, oikonomos. It comes from two Greek words, oikos, Oh, wait a minute, we were just there two weeks ago. Oikos, which means family, extended household, and nemen, which means manager. So this guy is a manager of the household. He's a family manager. Um, it's oikonomos is where we get the word oikonomos, economy from, right? Okay, so this word, that's where it comes from. The manager is not the owner, and the money and stuff does not belong to the manager, it belongs to someone else, But the second part of that verse, one day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. I imagine it it played out something like this. The owner is out and about in the marketplace, maybe the Agora, and a friend comes along and says, hey, it's none of my business, but last week I was at the city gate and your manager was there. And you're not gonna believe the deal that he made. You need to look into things. I think he's taking you for a ride. And maybe later that night, there's a dinner party, and he's got some other people over and some clients and the client patronage thing that played out in the Roman Empire. And another person says to the owner, hey, look, it's none of my business, but yesterday, your manager was doing things. I'm telling you, he's stealing from you. You need to look into this. Well, of course, the owner takes action, and that's verse 2. So the employer called the manager in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order, because you're gonna be fired right out of NBC. You're fired, okay? So he's got, the manager's got 24 hours to get the books ready for his replacement, but the manager does something very interesting, and that's the next couple of verses, which I don't have here, but I'll read them for you. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me, I don't have the strength to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. (gasps) I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. Too highly respected to dig ditches, too proud to beg by the city gate, this guy comes up with a plan so that he's not kicked out to the street. And it's a radical plan. Let's see how it unfolds. That's verse five and following. So the manager invited each person who owed money to his employer to come in and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe my boss? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, here, take the bill. Quickly change it to 400 gallons. "'And how much do you owe my employer?' He asked the next man. "'I owe a 1,000 bushels of wheat,' was the reply. "'Here,' said the manager, "'take the bill and change it to 800 bushels.'" Imagine for those of you with a student loan that someone representing your school called you and said, "'Hey, you know this student loan "'that you're paying over the next 15 years?' Uh, you've benefited from a program we're doing and we're cutting that down to five. So keep making the same payments, but your debt will be paid in full in five years. How excited would you be? Would you all of a sudden be wearing your school shirt like every weekend and right? (laughs) You'd be pretty jazzed to hear news like this. And so this manager, I think what's happened is he's cut his commission that's part of the arrangement of how these kind of deals would work in the first century, but he's acted shrewdly so that there's gonna be all these people when they hear that the manager was fired, what do they think? Oh, how terrible, he's such a nice man. What an amazing guy. I can't believe he got fired. How t- that, oh, what a terrible boss that guy is. We need to help him. So what an amazing plan this guy has, right? So verse eight, the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it's true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than they are the children of light, okay? So I, I wonder if it, before Jesus got to this part, I wonder if the disciples were kind of, ooh, this manager's got it coming to him, and then the boss, the owner goes, I got to admire him, this is shrewd, this is a good business move, this guy's got it going on. If only he had done that when he worked for me, right? Admire, commend, now is Jesus admiring the dishonesty? No, he's admiring the guy's forward thinking, the fact that he had a plan. People of the world give more care to their physical being than the resurrected life, than the future, right? In the point of the parable, everything we have, money and stuff, is given to us by God with an expectation that we'll use it for his purposes and our future. And Jesus spells this out in the next few verses, verse 9. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your earthly possessions are gone, they'll welcome you into an eternal home. First of all, the money and stuff that we have is a tool. I don't know if you know this, but it's a tool and you can use it for good things and you can use it for bad things. Don't you know rich people who are amazingly generous and wonderful and they've got sterling character and they're humble and they help people and they don't even think about it? And don't you also know rich people who are just absolute jerks, right? The money didn't change. It's still $10, $10, $10,000. What changed is the person and how they're using it. Money's a tool. Okay, and so what Jesus wants us to do is leverage our tools so that in the resurrected life, we might encounter somebody who says, hey, Max, you don't know me, but I committed my life to Jesus because of that outreach program that you helped do. Or, hey, Max, you don't know me, but I ended up taking and raising my grandchildren, Now I wasn't expecting it, and I only had $1,500 a month in income, and I didn't have beds for them. And that bed that you donated to that program My grandson slept on that bed till he left for college. Thank you, right? You don't know. Like, so Jesus is telling us, be forward-thinking. And the next thing he tells us is verse 10 following. If you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? The second thing Jesus tells us in this passage is that money and stuff is kind of a test. It's a test of our character and it's a test of what we're gonna do with things. Um, Who is our master, ultimately? Is it Jesus or something or someone else? And then it's a test to determine how much responsibility we'll have in the afterlife. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 3 that the levels of rewards and responsibilities in the resurrected life differ, and there's some connection to how we live life and how we leverage things here. I know this because I have kids. When my kids were 12 or 13 or 14 years old, the way they treated their room or their bicycle was a good indication of how they would treat a car Makes sense, right? So Jesus is looking at our lives and seeing to what degree can he entrust us with things. And then the last thing Jesus says is something he says in a, a different way that Matthew records it. He says this, no one can serve two masters. You'll hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Part of what Jesus is saying here is that money is a trademark. When you see somebody carrying a Starbucks cup, that Starbucks cup is easily recognizable, isn't it? You don't have to ask them, hey, where did you get that coffee? You know, it's trademarked. And so what Jesus is saying is there's a way in which we use the tool of money and resources that we have, the way that we use it, other people looking at us see a trademark as soon as they see how we're doing that they go oh there's jesus again ding easily recognizable i know what that is that's jesus right there it's a trademark okay so again everything we have every penny every last thing has been given to us by god god owns it all that's what he claims and i think he's right (laughs) god owns it all and you and i are just oikonomos we're managers of what god has given us In this story, the shrewd manager did something that most Americans don't. He had a plan. And you know what I want for you when it comes to the money that comes into your hands? I want you to have a plan so that you can go somewhere in life, so that you're not constantly stressed and, oh, I want you to have a plan, okay? Having a plan, and the word for that in the financial world is budget, budget, and I know that the word budget just absolutely for some of us, no, uh uh-uh, not doing it, I'm not doing it, Max, having a plan, a budget, is actually a very spiritual thing, because again, if you fail at your finances, it affects so many other areas of your life, okay, so let me ask a question, let me ask a couple of questions, would you have more or less anxiety if you had a plan for your money? Do you think your anxiety would go up if you had a plan or go down? And if you're just winging it, isn't there an aspect of the whole winging it thing that adds to that anxiety? Because every month or 60 days, it's like, surprise, wow, I thought it was, no, actually it's this, oh, okay? <laughs> and then you get into those war conversations with your spouse, okay? so, So I want to walk this out of what this looks like on a very practical level, okay? So taking it home. First and foremost, track your expenses. You can't have a plan if you don't know where you are, okay? You can't go someplace else if you don't know where you are right now. So over the next 30 days, or for the rest of this month in September, I want you to f- know where your money's going. If you need to handwrite that out, there's forms on the table in the back. There's a couple of apps that you can use that are easy. Um, if you use anything like Quicken, it will track it for you, but you've got to know where your money is going. So what that will do is it will change the, the dynamic from, I think we eat out a lot to, did you know that we're spending, we spent $285.75 eating out last month? All of a sudden now with that specific number, you can make a decision. I'm good with that, or I wanna change that because I want some of that money to be working for me in other ways. Does this make sense, okay? And if you already track things, if you're a quick and geek, this would be a good month to take a look again about where it's going and seeing if it's working hard for you the way you want it to be working for you. And ask some questions like, do I like what I see? Is there something I wanna change? So first of all, track your expenses. Secondly, develop a plan. And again, this is called a budget, right? What what do I mean by that? I mean, before the money leaves, you decide where it's gonna go. Don't just have it go and leave you. That's not right. No one wants that in a relationship. Tell the money where to go so that it's doing what you want, right? Okay, so develop a plan. Um, pre-decide where every dollar's gonna go before it goes out. Um, now, I need to mention something that Dave Ramsey teaches on a lot, and that's the whole difference between nerds and free spirits. If you're married, one of you is probably a nerd, and one of you is probably a free spirit. As soon as I said the word budget, those of you who are nerds are like, oh, I could totally excel this out with colored blocks, and it'll auto-calculate, right? Okay, that's great, but, a plan needs to be simple and understandable. If it's 15 pages long, right, that's, that's complicated. The free spirits are gonna check out as soon as you have this conversation. So it should be simple and, and easily understandable. And so there's a couple of places you can go. Dave Ramsey's website has a click on tab on basics of budgeting. The folks that I was broke but now I'm not, again, have basics of budgeting. And you can go and click on the, these uh, sites, and we'll send you links later today or tomorrow. So track your expenses, develop a plan. Number three, in your plan, I want you to have something that Dave Ramsey calls blow money. Here's what often happens when people budget. They budget all the ought to have to, insurance, house, car, whatever, and then there's absolutely nothing to go for anything extra so after 90 days of this austere budget plan they're like you know budgeting stink i wanted to buy those donuts that they had at work the other day or da, 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 like and you get mad at the budget because the budget is nothing but a slave driver always saying one word to you no but i want it no budget said no and and you hate the budget You're the one that make the budget. Don't make a budget that's always telling, right? Okay, so whether it's $10 a month or $50 a month, I don't know what your budget is. Maybe for some of you, it's like hundreds of dollars a month. But whatever it is, you agree to it where this money can go to anything that you decide and you don't have to check in with your spouse or have a budget meeting or anything like that. Like, it's blow money. You need that. Because you live in America where every day there's something that you didn't have that you didn't know you needed until you saw it, right? <laughs> okay, so you got to have something that's blow money, okay? So put that in your budget. Lastly, I want to talk to students for a moment. I know if you're young and you're a student and you don't have a job, nine to five, like your money is sporadic. So it comes at birthday and Christmas. It comes, it comes at birthday and Christmas. And If you don't have a plan, what's gonna happen is what Red Skeleton talked about. Red Skeleton was a comedian when I was a kid and he did goofy voices. He always talked like this. And he would say, you know, they say money talks. But all mine ever says is, bye-bye, bye-bye. If you don't have a plan, you're gonna live Red Skeleton's life. Bye-bye. All the money is just gonna leave you all the time into the black hole of nothingness. What if 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds... You developed a plan that between the ages of 12 and 18, you were gonna earn $4,000. When you graduated from high school, you could pay cash for a reliable car that could get you from point A to point B. You have no car payment. You did it entirely on your own. How would that feel? What if you approached your mom and dad for a matching grant and said, I'm saving for a car so that when I'm 18, when I graduate from high school, I'm gonna be able to buy a reliable car. Would you match me dollar for dollar for everything that I save, right? Now your parents might be able to or might not be able to, but like that $4,000 car, dollar car could be a $6,000 car or an $8,000 car. At that moment, at age 18, do you know what you would be compared to all of your peers? Different, in the best kind of way, different, and it would be awesome feeling, wouldn't it, driving around knowing it's paid for, there's no car payment, okay? So, having a plan for your money is spiritual and good, and it actually reflects God's character. How do I know this? Well, let's kind of look into the larger story that unfolds in the pages of the Bible. What if, what if after Adam and Eve had rebelled and death and sin had entered the world in brokenness, what if God had been, whoa, never saw that coming. Hey, Michael, Gabriel, boy, that's a mess down there. What you gonna do, boss? Uh, I don't know. Let's wing it and see what happens. Would your confidence in God, you know, take a little bit of a dip if that were his approach? I think it would. Isn't part of our confidence in God and God's ability to make right what is wrong based in the fact that God has a plan and God's working a plan throughout human history to accomplish his purposes for our good? Okay, I know this is true for a couple of reasons. One, uh, this past July, Jenny and I did something on a Thompson Beach Week that we had never done before. We've, We've done Thompson Beach Week for 30 years, her side of the family. Earlier this year, we started saving money so that we could go someplace alone together for the two days, three days leading up to the beach week. And you know what? Awesome! We had never done that before, but we pre-decided in like March and April when extra money was coming in, we're gonna set money aside. We stayed at this lovely resort that Jenny picked out. We sat on the beach and waited for the sun to set and the stars to come out and there were no kids and no nieces or nephews or cousins, right? And it was glorious. And when we started Beach Week with the rest of the family, both of us were rested and ready worth every single dollar that had been predecided. A plan is a good thing. Now, I can also tell you that a plan can also kind of bite you in the butt. When Jenny and I were first married, uh, she was working full-time, and I always had some kind of part-time job. So we were always an income and a half or an income and a quarter for seven years before we had children. In those seven years, now those of you who are younger are gonna freak out, in those seven years, our monthly rent payment was $350. $350. Do you know how much discretionary income we had? Bucket loads, bucket loads. Now, we were feast or famine. If we had money, we spent it. If we didn't have money, we didn't spend it. So we had no credit card debt, no car payments. Now, Jenny had a well-resourced classroom. If there was a book I saw, I got it. It was no harm, no foul. If we had done something simple like simply set aside $200 a month, Would have been easy, wouldn't have harmed anything. No one, like we wouldn't even miss that money. If we had set aside $200 a month for those seven years and then just stopped when John Mark was born, today I would have a portfolio of $373,000. I'm 51. At age 65, that money would matriculate into $2,043,000. Do you know how much money I have? 12. I wanna be killing you today because I want you to develop a plan and it's never too late, okay? Those who fail to plan, plan to fail. But here's the thing, you've gotta tell your money where to go. Be the boss of your money now so that you can live like a boss later, okay? I want this for you and part of doing it is having a plan having a plan, and there's something powerful about when you write it down. People who study this for a living say that just writing the plan down is huge. You get tremendous yardage just writing it down. If that's all you do and don't even have any discipline to follow it through, it makes a difference. So I want you to develop a plan because it's spiritual, it's good, and it will put you in a better place tomorrow.